Welcome back to Are You a Robot? Today we are talking with none other than Alka Roy. Let's hear an introduction from her and then jump into the full conversation. I am right now um, founder of um, RI Labs, which is Responsible Innovation Labs, which started as part of the Responsible Innovation Project a um, couple years ago. Prior to that, I was a director at AT&T for product and emerging technologies, and I worked at the Innovation Center. And I was also um, involved in many things outside of there, like theater. Uh, I'm trained in theater of the oppressed. I write poetry and other forms where I engage and talk about um, and, and explore what kind of AI and 5G um, that we're making. I teach at Berkeley. I'll be teaching a class this summer on responsible innovation. And I launched a class on 5G and Edge with Linux Foundation, and I'm working on AI and ethics um, next. In case this is your first time tuning in and listening to us, I am Demetrios Brinkman, the host, and we are a series that aims to tackle some of the greatest questions and challenges that revolve around AI and other related technologies. The way that we're going about doing that is by gathering the best and brightest minds in their respective fields to come on here and talk with myself about what it is that they're working on, where they see holes in the matrix or where they see gaps in the current landscape of AI when it comes to ethics and responsible AI, data governance, all of these cool topics we get into and more. And I will mention that in case you would like to continue the conversation, we've got a Slack channel you can jump into. Find the link for that below and come introduce yourself. Let us know what you're working on and what you're passionate about. Lastly, I will mention that we have an amazing sponsor, Ethics Grade, is powering this series. And in case you don't know what they're up to, they are an ESG ratings company. So they're going around and they're measuring the non-financial impact that other companies have on society. You can go to their website and check out all the different scorecards that they've made by rating all these different companies such as Amazon, Alibaba, Twitter, Tesla, you name it. If you are interested in a company, they've probably rated them. And you can see how these companies rate on topics such as data governance or AI ethics. So I encourage you to check out their website. It's all free to download these different scorecards. And it is surprising some of the different ratings that companies you know and love have gotten. That, again, is ethicsgrade.io. Check them out. And now let's get into the show with Alka Roy. Are you a robot? What a diverse, diverse set of skills you have. I love it. And I'm very excited to talk to you today. I really want to go into so many different points that you were speaking of and and dive into, especially this open source stuff that you're working on and the... I'm very interested to learn more about you as well. Um, and and I love the title of this uh, um, 
this podcast. And it also gave me pause. <laughs> you know, I remember when I said, hmm, I, I know I'm not a, <laughs> a robot. And I spent a lot of time working on explaining to people uh, uh, what would happen if we didn't make our robots look like us and why that's important. Mm. So, so yes, uh, I am looking forward to learning more about you well, well, maybe we can start with a little bit about how you ended up where you are right now and what your journey has been so far. Um, and uh, where would you like to start? <laughs> how far back should we go? <laughs> uh, the history of civilization. I, I um, and, and I'll drop this in. I'm a dropout of a neural net program as well, a PhD uh -huh. program, for the same grounds because of chore, that they're coming together. They're gonna, this is going to be, people call about transformation. This is what I call massive transformation or even just a, a different you know, bump in the level of the continuum because IoT, Edge, AI, 5G, they're all going to come together you know, until quantum happens, this is this is really big, right? So, yeah. so that's when I felt I had to take a break, which I thought would be three months, and think about how you know, kind of contributing to this, a sabbatical of sorts, and then go back to being head of products or running my own thing or whatever it was. And those three months became six months. Pandemic happened. You know, I kept giving myself three months increment. Maybe it's because it's like a software release cycle I'm used to. But I thought, you know, I just don't know what's going to happen. And I called it a project, Responsible Innovation Project. So I didn't have any pressures of creating a billion-dollar venture or anything like that. And it's just been a project, a project. And this year... I said, hmm, maybe we can graduate to the labs because we're making things, we're helping founders make things. But it's still really a project. Mm -hmm. And we're trying. And everything I take on is a three to four months now <laughs> um, a life cycle just to see uh, if it will work. So it's a long intro. <laughs> You weren't we kidding off, in the beginning. So how how far back are we going to go? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I wanted to know because um, it's it's really interesting. We think we have this language, right? It's like, oh, I understand what you're doing. You're doing a podcast. Let me just, you know, frame everything. And, you know, what's your branding and what's my branding? And that negotiation, mm. we lose so much of humanity and inefficiency that makes storytelling cumbersome and yet, you know, delicious. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, if you're not going to cut me off, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so cut me, me off if stories. you need to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not. This is the beauty of what I get to do. I get to learn and listen and hear stories from so many different people all across all walks of life. Uh, I just wanted to point out something else that as a native Arizonian, I appreciate the shout out for all of the, the bad things that we do in Arizona. And, and so let's dive into what is going on with your project, as you call it. And I like that you frame it as a project so that you don't have these pressures of trying to go out and create a unicorn and you don't need to succumb to that typical 
or stereotype, we could say, of a company that is going out and then raising money and trying to really value profit over people. And so let's talk about the Responsible Innovation Project and what exactly it is, what you're doing with it. Uh, I think we understand the why behind it. It seems very clear why you started to get into it and you had the foresight to, to realize that these questions need to be asked. People aren't asking them. Governments aren't going to implement anything. So let's start having these conversations. Can you give us a breakdown on, on what exactly you're doing now and how it's evolved over these different, I imagine, these three-month in increments that you've been talking about? Yeah, I, I thank you so much. Uh, first, a couple things really briefly. Um, one of the things that Responsible Innovation Project and the, in my interpretation of Responsible Innovation is it's been around uh, for a long time and a lot of big, larger companies are using it as well. Um, but I've interpreted, first thing I did, my first three months, I interpreted Responsible Innovation um, for the world that I was part of, that I understand. So all my biases, all my lenses, uh, all the understanding I have from product and UX and launching and startups, that's where I applied responsible innovation. So someone else applying it to the very research world or you know, um, uh, a different domain might choose a different approach. Uh, I'm very sort of well aware of that. And so the first three months I did that and I came up with a framework that I donated to Creative Commons that's on my website. And I wanted it to be very simple and language and visual because one of the things I noticed in this discourse was that it was very academic language. For example, just even ethics. Like how many people day to day say, oh, is this ethical? Is it ethical? Who has time to sit and debate ethics? I think debating ethics is a is a is a is an important. Um, I shouldn't be flipping sport or something, but I think it's a means of becoming, you know, getting to responsibility. So I think it's a language. It's very important to be there in the background, but I think language of ethics can be um, become inaccessible. So can a lot of the academic language that I was hearing um, in this discourse. I loved reading those white papers, but I, I know who reads those, right? Those 50, 80 page, 10 font, you know, white papers, and even the denseness in that language, which sometimes is there in my own language. And so in this framework, I wanted it to be a visual, uh, just one you know, visual reminder of, of what it would look like and use as simple language. So like I use, say, delightful and trust and safe and open and dependable and inclusive. They can all, they're also complex ideas, but simpler language. And putting them in a visual format. And then, then I wrote about it. And I did write a white paper because some people will not take you seriously until you write a white paper. And then you have to get it published and peer reviewed. And so that project was happening in parallel. So I have a framework. I have a white paper who cares for it. And then Forbes um, covered me and covered the framework. So there's that Forbes level of article because you have to meet people where they are. And one of the things that I've been working very hard on is that 
I came from a world where in five minutes you decided if someone was worthy of doing business or not. So if you are a startup founder, you bring into me your three, four years of love and sweat and growth, things you're proud of, I will literally decide in five minutes if you've got something there. I might give you 15, 20 minutes because I think I'm a nice person. You know, how much damage do we do with that? Um, and, and make those decisions. So one of the things I decided to do with the Responsible Innovation Project is see if we can build a little time for evaluation and thinking. Because we actually have time. We make ourselves think that we don't have time. We'll make that decision in five minutes about the startup and then spend half an hour talking about them <laughs> to somebody over coffee. Go, can't believe that guy did that. You know? So we have the time. We just choose where we spend that time. Right? That's one thing. There's a lot of myths that I was also part of that I had to undo. So that was the first thing in the project. I put out the framework. I started writing about it and exploring these contradictions that we've taken on as reality. Um, and, you know, many cultures, Japanese and you know, Indian philosophy has a lot of, uh, they've spent a lot of time talking about the face that you show, the illusion that you create, and then who you are. And the more that the gap that's in between there, and, and you know, I call it the trust gap, it creates this trust gap. So the next thing I did was designed a survey, the next project. And I decided to explore what the larger community, what other people think about this. Who do they trust? What's their trust gap? So I take these philosophies that I have and I turn it into a language that's accessible to the community that I'm talking to. So if I say about trust and illusion and all of that, most of my you know, engineer friends are just going to roll their eyes and just go back to coding, right? But they do fill out the survey about who do you trust, you know, because they know that trust is inherent in getting heard by their bosses, by their partners, by people who are going to use their code, you know, other people they're working with. So that's something that I found universally was, was something I didn't have to explain, even though it means different things to different people. So then the survey, I, you know, produced those results. Those are also available on my website under Responsible AI because that was kind of the, the main focus area that I started with. So when I left um, AT&T and the Innovation Center, I was working on responsible innovation, really responsible AI in the, in the face of responsible AI. And we'll talk about that if you're interested, why I think that's slightly problematic. So the survey that I did and a roundtable that I held with um, some of our Silicon Valley's best and international researchers uh, people from Google, Intel, you know, all the mainstream folks. I wanted to understand what were they thinking? What did they see the problem was and how did they want to solve it if they were taken out of their affiliation as individuals? So um, these are primarily AI experts or ML experts, but some policy people as well. A little bit of multidisciplinary community, almost 50% female, not by design. So again, I don't know if people keep bemoaning women in tech. They are there. Make the space. Make it welcoming. They will come. Um, so anyway, so we did the roundtable and the survey, and they were kind of complementary to each other because the question I asked was, can you make responsible AI? Is that a thing? 
Is that real? Without changing the landscape in which AI is embedded. I'll pause there because people say they get it and then they, they talk about it differently. I was just going to ask. Do you have a question about that? Yeah. Yeah. What that means by not changing the landscape. So does, because for me, I understand that as like without changing how we're using AI and what AI is being the different use cases right now, without changing that, can it still be responsible? Is that the correct way of interpreting it or how else? Yeah, can you can ask that or you can say the other way. You're like, what, what you know, if you're going to embed AI into systems, you know, and the systems themselves are broken perhaps or haven't had those considerations. And then you, you'll introduce, um, you'll introduce this AI. And some people, we, we talked behind the scenes because some of the people who are working on responsible AI are some of the smartest people and very thoughtful and, and, and they, they understand. And they said, look, we're going to start with AI because somehow AI has opened the door for the language of ethics and responsibility in technology that wasn't there. Um, and we, I know because people have been talking about it for years. It's not a new concept or mm, new idea from the time AI came to be or even was being conceived. And even prior to that, we've been talking about man and machine and Frankenstein and, you know, what could happen? What could happen? What could happen? And that's why, you know, your robots, robots are going to take over. Well, you know who's going to power those robots if they take over. <laughs> it's going to be some human doing it. And so... Uh, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, we're pulling the curtain behind the language and technology that certain institutions and people uh, hide behind. And we hide behind um, because it sounds smart and clever and we get funding for it. Mm. But I think there's also a danger in doing that. So if you have a strategy saying, I'm going to call it responsible AI, I'm going to enter this space I'm going to bring the language of ethics and responsibility into my technology-making machine and institutions. And then, by proxy, everything is going to use AI eventually in, in a, some way. And by proxy, everything else is going to become better, right? So that was one sort of approach, right, theory. The challenge is, and what I saw happening, is that that was not happening, <laughs> And, or there were enough people doing that. And I said, let me try the other way, which I think that you talk about both. So I come from a world of language, you know, I, um, I'm multilingual. Um, we used to make fun of in Hindi movies, people will say in Hindi, you know, then they say in English, I love you. And we always made fun of it because it was like, why is this person translating? Why are they saying the same thing in two different languages? But it's actually a really clever thing. It feels different. It could mean differently. And it could, you could give people sort of multi things to walk away with. So in my mind, you use it everywhere. All the approaches are valid as long as they're integrated and they, uh, they understand the relations and they don't start competing, right? So if the audit guy doesn't compete with the woman working on compliance saying your approach to compliance checklist doesn't make sense. You know, this other way of auditing that's more multi-prong is the approach. 
they don't get caught up in that and they understand how each informs and brings people over. Like in your earlier comment, you said, oh, they're never going to make laws. No, no, we need them too. We need, we need regulations. We need legal things. They're going to be behind. They're never going to be right there. But we need all of these things, which are also part of the responsive innovation framework that I made, you know, the laws. We need market drivers. We need norms. So we need all of these approaches. But if you want to get to responsible AI, you have to be thinking about responsible leadership, responsible innovation. Mm-hmm. Without it, you're going to feel good. You're going to have some principles, but it's just not going to stick. It just isn't going to make sense because people will say, oh, that's, we're not talking about AI anymore because it's really in my domain. We're primarily talking about wireless and yeah, I use some AI. I'll call you when I'm touching the AI, AI part. Right. That's I don't know if you've seen that happen. I've seen that happen a lot. And it just isn't like people will even come to me right now. I'm coaching about eight to ten startup founders and they'll say, oh, this is this is oh, actually founders get it a lot better than than others. But they'll say, oh, do you need me to talk to you about the AI part? I said, well, how about you talk to me about data part? Because guess what? That's going to affect the AI part. And how do we talk about business model? Because a business model determines what data you collect and what you do with your data, mm-hmm. where you're getting. So they're all connected, you see. Um, and it can seem overwhelming, but that's what we do all the time. That's business. That's technology making. We make that kind of connections. All we're saying is add social impact and variables so the customers and people that you're affecting, whose lives you're changing, enhancing. Also be responsible when you come to the other side. So for example, like the Arizona example, I don't think it's a good or bad side, but there are certain actions that are irresponsible. If you're going to allow people to build things and test things without any regard to safety, then guess what kind of products they're going to have? Guess what they're going to focus on? But if you make safety a condition, a requirement, they'll meet it. They have the money. They have the intelligence. They're smart. You give them new, they do that today with financial barriers, technology barriers, add to them these other barriers that's going to actually even help them long-term. They're going to make better products instead of having to retrofit it later, right? So anyway, um, that's my approach um, or, or philosophy. And, um, and I talk to a lot of people who have been you know, in this, industry for a long time and more and more people are starting to come to that it just seems overwhelming to them but we got here somewhere right just decades ago there was no facebook and google they seem large and mammoth but there wasn't you know things change new th- yeah. you know we just have to believe that that's possible the art of the possible right i i think about arizona my home state and trying to put safety barriers in place with a state that allows you to have guns in bars, drinking whiskey and shooting revolvers. And I, I laugh, but it is very true what you're saying. You're going to get products that are, or it's the products are going to be assist. What is the saying that I'm looking for? Uh, it's a product of its environment. I think is mm-hmm. what I'm going for. You're you're going to get those products because you're not putting the guardrails in place. And I really like how you were speaking about 
pulling down the curtains and checking behind the scenes, taking away all of these big fancy words or this this stuff that seems like it's a little bit harder to interpret, really grasp the meaning of. And then the other thing that I think is crucial that you said, it's almost like if we're talking about responsible AI, we're late to the party because like you said, it's a much more holistic view of responsible leadership that needs to be factored in as opposed to just this responsible part over here that is dealing with data and machine learning. And then the rest of the stuff, we can do whatever we want. It's not responsible. Really, I think that's baked into the culture, right? You have to try and bring that to the culture of the different companies so that the responsible leadership overflows the cup into responsible AI. Yeah, I, I think you said it really well. I. I think one of the things with languages that I'm usually very careful about is fear and anxiety and feeling like we're late to the party. Though I have to say that I always feel like I'm late to the party because, you know, you start looking at it and you're like, whoa, it's like when you have kids, you're like, what? You know, I could have been a better person before I had them Then raising them would have been like teaching them all the good stuff would be so much easier. And there's research out there that says you can do all the reading of parenting books, but by the time you have kids, you know, who you are has been set and they're going to learn from what they see you do um, mm. more than what you're going to say. And, you know, I think that's really important. Two things. One is taking a breath and saying, this is it. This is the world. And Sometimes it feels like, oh, it's terrible. We're going in a, to nowhere. But if we really look at it, it's a good world <laughs> um, in the sense of, you know, I can speak to you um, from different parts of the country, world. Actually, you're, you're, you're in different parts of the world, different yeah. time zones um, and be understood. And you give and make time to hear different perspectives. This is the world. And you know, certain people who didn't, um, or gender, whatever the biases people had, they're going away in certain areas. Uh, we have a lot of convenience. We also have inequity and other things. So the way I do is I breathe and I say, this is, this is it. This is reality. This is what we have. Hmm. What are we going to do with this next? And some people, and sometimes we need a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of shaken, being shaken up. A friend of mine used to say, I have to be angry to do social justice, <laughs> but I direct my anger towards constructive things. Because I think if we come with the same fear and anxiety that created the problem, we're going to solve it with the same playbook. Hmm. So I try, one of the things I did in my three-month increments is that I said to myself, calm down. <laughs> yes, it's a big problem. You're not supposed to solve it just by yourself because if you did, the solution or the approach would not be correct because one person should not be solving it. That's mm -hmm. the same thinking that got us here in the first place. A lot of investors who talk about diversity and inclusion, bringing value to um, startups, whether it's cognitive diversity or experiential diversity, they say you have to do it early. Because very soon, as I talked about before, people self-select. They say, oh, that's not my team. Five guys who look exactly the same are interviewing me. <laughs> you know, I don't think 
you know, I might self-select that I don't want to be part of that team or that team might just be like, I don't know. She's really like sounding smart. She has all these patents, but you know, I just don't know. I remember there was one interview where somebody was like, I just don't know if you're technical enough, you know? And I was thinking, (laughs) huh? You know, that was never something that's occurred to me. I always feel like I'm too technical and I need Mm -hmm. to be more business-minded and and think about the the human side um, in actually executing the problem. So what I think is exciting is now is the time. If we woke up now, we could really get our act together before quantum comes into the picture, if that becomes hmm. real. So, so I think that's the way I think about it. And I think all the approaches, everybody, all the colleagues I talk to, even if when they miss something, I think they're going to come to it. You know, so even if they're talking about responsible AI and they're missing the larger picture, I think they'll arrive to it. And they'll come up with maybe some interesting tools and trips and tricks, as long as they don't become so adamant that their way is the right way. Hmm. Does that make sense? Completely. I don't trust people who say, trust me. <laughs> you know? I was like, well, let me figure that out. <laughs> you know, that's, that's like a, that's a warning sign. Oh, you can yeah. trust me, Alka. <laughs> oh, okay. Someone's signaling to me that I need to probe some more before mm. I trust them. You know, It's interesting because when you were talking about trust earlier, I would, was thinking to myself how much trust is social currency and we really are putting it into a bank and when we're building trust and then if we if we lose it it's really hard to build that back up and you it's like if you're broke with trust then it's really hard to go places and and do things but i wanted to touch on something else that you mentioned before and how the AI ethics conversation has sparked or it's been the catalyst for the greater technology ethics conversation. And I'm still feeling like I was going to ask whatever happened with that round table and you, because you paused and then I told you about it, but I didn't hear it. What, did they have an answer for how yeah, we so, can So, so the, the good news is, the reason I paused is because there's a report out there. Okay. And so two things I'll mention here before we run out of time is, you know, if you look at the report or other people download it, it's on my website under projects or responsible AI. Um, and I can put the link for you that you can share with the listeners, um, is watch for how I presented the report, both for the survey results and the roundtable. There is the first thing in the report will show you who was there. Like I actually show visually the demographics of who was there. So you can understand how much to trust the results. You can choose for me to publish things. I I did, you know... um, I did fiddle with it for meaning a little bit because people, I had reviewers. So first thing mm-hmm. I did, I put it together and the reviewer said, this is unclear and it's, you know, roundabout. So there, you know, we went in with their input and those reviewers also attended the round table. So it was kind mm-hmm. of like I built an accountability. I, I hope you can see where I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So in this tiny place of round table, I experimented with how do I structure on my own biases How do I disclose what level of transparency works? How do I let other people's words be there instead of three experts presenting to 
500 people, um, mm. all presenters got to talk, had the same amount of time uh, with each other. And then it was synthesized. Then I did make sense of it. I wasn't planning on it, but all the reviewers said, but I want to know, how would you, what's a taking about AI? They were really talking about responsive innovation. They were really talking about the larger ecosystem, but they're afraid to say it because it's mm. so overwhelming. It's, they think it's radical and revolutionary and someone's going to get mad. And it, it really isn't. It's just logical <laughs> to me. But I also know that I'm on the other side. I call it the inside outsider thing. I am kind of an outsider now, but I'm also an insider because I understand that world. That's where my colleagues and my friends are. That's mm -hmm. what gave me the financial freedom to be an outsider in the first place. And I don't take that lightly. So when you hear someone talk about AI and ethics and they're not coming clean about their part in it, pause. How much should you trust? You can always take away something. That's one other thing I've learned from this uh, sitting away and, and just years of practice is you don't, you know, even in a bad boss, toxic boss, there's always some kernel that you can learn from of to, what to take and what to give up. And the more mm -hmm. that we build this, you know, this roundtable report, when you read it, the takeaway, what people were giving out and sharing was we created a container and people were able to separate what they can do with what's overwhelming. And one of the biggest takeaway was need for independent accountability. Independent mm -hmm. accountability. The way we think about conflict of interest, which is pervasive. Mm. And not just technology. People like to say technology companies, but think about the life cycle of how long technology companies have been there. Whose playbook are they using? Advertisers? Businesses? Media? I love like media people coming to me and interviewing like, what's the tech companies doing? Let's figure it out. And I said, what are you doing? What are you doing with information? Like if mm -hmm. Facebook, you know, um, helped somebody steal an election, what playbook of propaganda did they use? Where did they get that from? Where did we get that from? So, you know, if, when you start tracing back who's responsible, which, you know, obviously I do in my spare time, you know, very few hands are clean. Mm -hmm. Even the ones throwing the stones and the rocks, you know, they're, they're really um, responsible. There's a different level of responsibility, which is why I've really liked the language of responsibility. It's action by action. You don't say it's a good person or bad person. Arizona isn't a bad state. I've been there. It's lovely. Sedona is there. Um, <laughs> it has some people who have taken irresponsible decisions because they believe that somehow it reflects autonomy and independence. Somehow mm. to them, they equate that with, you know, being able to be themselves because somewhere they feel powerless. How do we create systems and people who feel powerful enough that they can say no? A designer, an ML ops community expert that says, you know, we're really accelerating all this ML models that people, anyone can access and use in any way. How do we build things in there? that people don't have to think about guardrails because they will be just built in. Like when we get mm. in the car and there's a seatbelt, you know, we put it on. If there wasn't a seatbelt and everyone would have to invent their own seatbelt or safety mechanism, 
it would be kind of, some people will have it, some people won't have it. There'll be a debate, all that. Mm -hmm. But designers and engineers have this amazing power to talk with their products and their tools than just language. You know, that's what I, that's what I advise when people come to me is build this, design this a little differently. Don't even debate it. You can do it. No one would care as long as you're in the budget and the time and you can actually do something good. You can build consent a particular way. You can ask, uh, you can do opt-in and opt-out in a different way. You can, you can just say, okay, those people need to debate are debating because they have a conflicting need, which is what I, you know, I've explored in the framework is that it's our conflicting need of being delighted, excited, wanting to break rules. And then yet, you know, that's why we need rules so we can break them, <laughs> you know, but, but you have to have rules in the first place. But if there are no common rules or some guardrails and guidelines and tools and tips and tricks, then the burden of responsibility changes. It's too much to figure out mm. for everyone. So, you know, in my, what I learned from that roundtable, which was last year, and again, so after, I, after that, I thought, I'll, I'll hold a bunch of roundtables. But what I realized is actually what would be really helpful is if I can help other organizations hold roundtables for them, little groups, mm -hmm. and find out what are their trust gaps? Where are they missing the mechanism that they could build? And instead of designers and engineers saying, well, my director said this, I can say, what can you tell your director that you're going to do that could excite them? that could look like a feature <laughs> that is a feature, but that makes a better product for larger and impacting. So, you know, I am really, I believe in the entire ecosystem. I think the legal people, the licensing, I'm working on some, um, uh, with some people and what responsible licenses could look like. I think they're all, you know, I've testified uh, in front of, um, for, for uh, laws or regulations that are being made. I think they're all important. But my wheel, my lane is making products and technology and that world. And I think that world, individuals have way more power than they allow themselves to see. And that's what I've been unpacking more and more. What are the, what are the ways? What's a, you know, RI playbook for designers? What resources, tools mm -hmm. can allow people to find that agency? amongst themselves. They feel better, by the way. The people I work with and they see it, I never say, oh, you did this wrong, do this. It's a coaching. You say, what do you see? And usually what I might have suggested isn't the best way. It's what they come up with. So when we chat after this podcast about ML ops, and I tell you some of the things that I'm, you know, sort of alarmed about in that space, you and your group will come up with better solutions than what I could suggest to you. But what I can give you as an outsider's eyes are things that you've normalized in language and habit. And you're like, well, that's just how it is. No, 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 I don't think that will work. I don't think comments make that much difference. Uh, I, I don't think logging, you know, is so, so tedious. But maybe I could say, oh, could you log that and could that become transparency? And could mm -hmm. you put a note in comments saying don't use for this and could that become a sort of a responsible, like your tag, uh, pay forward. You know, could there be simple ways, not amazingly hard algorithms, but just simple ways to signal to people, you know, why they should 
put their seatbelt on, you know, it's there. So, or or here it is, at least give them a chance to very easily put that on um, and the benefits they get from putting that on. So I don't know if that, you know, went somewhere else, but, um, you know, you people can go on my website. I've been doing a lot of trainings that somehow, you know, seems to be a good place right now for me to talk about technology, demystify Mm -hmm. Things that we tend to hide behind acronyms or, or not purpose, purposely sometimes, but just out of habit. You know, it's our shorthand, right? Um, trying to explain opt-in, opt-out to someone, you know, as opposed to just using it. And instead of saying, well, you get to choose whether you use something or you have to choose not to use it. You know, that's opt-in, opt-out. So we can just with one line or language, you know, use that. So I've been trying to create courses that simplify complicated technology with simple language. I have a 5G course. I'm working on AI. And then out of this. So that's one of the other things I'm doing along with coaching startups and having these conversations with really smart people like you and learning from you and maybe giving you some, you know, room to try new things. Exactly. I had one last question that... You kind of answered in the beginning, but I should ask it formally. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Elka, are you a robot? Um, Absolutely. I I was born a robot. (laughs) Um, You know, um, I I almost did come to the podcast because of that question. And then I came to it because of that question. And that's the kind of people we are, right? Um, We're never static in our decision-making I talk a lot about, uh, in the white paper, uh, if people want to download it again on my website, all this is free resources, and hopefully you can share the link. I talk about the need for us to separate technology from ourselves, which sounds kind of like, okay, obvious. But for the longest time, we've been trying to embed technology in us. And... um, I, I'm, I don't spend a lot of time, maybe a little bit, talking about whether some technology is responsible or not, because I don't even know what that means. That's an evolving idea. So I focus on how we make technology, the process. And if that's responsible, I think we'll eventually get to the right stuff. But I think making a lot of technology appear like people, have forms that are living form, cause a lot of confusion and make it sound like people, causes a lot of confusion, cognitive confusion, makes us make decisions that are not the best for us or for how we would use the technology. And a lot of really smart researchers have um, shared that. Um, But, you know, one of the things that I really, and sorry, and one of the things that I really, really uh, would love to explore, it's on one of my three months project, is to invite artists and designers to challenge them to see how can we design interactive technology that delights Mm. us but does not look like humans and does not transfer our sense of humanity but also doesn't take away our agency. So that when we design automation of systems, it's not us against machines. It's about, oh, let's automate the things that we need to automate so that we can, sorry, So let's automate the things that we can automate and let's keep the intelligence and complexity that we need people to have 
So that if we have a shutdown, if someone hijacks our internet, we don't suddenly are like, oh, what? What do we do? What? What? <laughs> How do we work? How do we think? You know, with the pandemic, that was such an interesting example. People were in a way uber connected with technology. And then they had mm -hmm. all this time. People started gardening, cooking their own food. God yeah. forbid, right? And you're like, wow, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, you know, multi, like sort of dimensional person. And um, and there really has been research that your brain grows more when you use your hand. So when you use tactile things, your brain makes new neural connections and gets smarter. You know, I'm kind of a, I'm not trained in neuroscience, but I read a lot of it to just understand myself. And there are these things about us that we've given up because of this fascination with technology since the Industrial Revolution or some people creating this hype about technology. And I just think that if we just saw it as another really cool tool and put it away, because mm -hmm. at the end, it's about relationships. It's about these technologies enabling me to talk to you, but you're mm -hmm. the important person. It's your ideas and what you're going to do with what we're talking about. That's what's interesting and fascinating to me. Technology isn't, Zoom isn't going to surprise me right now or Zen, you know, whatever we're using, the tool. You know, they, what's going to surprise me is what is Demetrius is going to do with what we've discussed. How is, he, how is he going to take this to his MLOps community? And how are the members of other community going to respond? Right? That's, mm -hmm. that's what the stuff is made of. That's innovation to me, you know, that the real innovation, ultimately. Fascinating. I appreciate you talking to me so much and instilling and inspiring all of this into my mind and my body. It's been just an incredible conversation to be able to look at all of this different stuff. You've opened doors in my head on how we can really lead responsibly and go through these transformations responsibly. And so I cannot thank you enough, Alka. I heard your alarm going off two times. <laughs> I get the feeling that you're late to something. So I want to let you go as fast Sorry as possible. Sorry about that. That's the only way I show up to things. Um, but uh, I should have probably put that on silent. So hopefully you can... You can um, Edit we'll that edit out, out. <laughs> or, or people will will appreciate it now that we're we're making fun of it. So again, thank you so much. This has been incredible. And for everyone that wants to check out more about what you're doing, we're going to leave all the links in the descriptions. And that's all we've got for today. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye bye.